0: There's a great hymn that says exactly what the choir just sang. We've sung it many times. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? You know, that's exactly right. What a tragedy of building your life on the sinking sands of this world. And the rain descended and the winds blew and the floods came and it beat upon the house and it fell. Because it was founded on the sand. Can you say this morning, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Is that your testimony? If not, it needs to be. And I pray that it will be. You know, there are things that are tucked away in the Old Testament that oftentimes, because we're we're a New Testament church and we live under the new covenant, the old covenant was based on law given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And it was given to fence the people in and to keep them from sinning. And the law had its place. But then the new covenant is when Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins, took our place. And while the old covenant was based on law, you've got to do this. But the problem was we couldn't do it because of our sinful nature. Then Jesus came and said, well, I've done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. By the way, that's called grace. And the new covenant's based on the grace of God. Now, John 1 says, for the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. However, many things in the Old Testament are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages would come. And while we do not live under the Jewish law, there were principles revealed in that law that carry over even into our lives today. To be honest, I knew very little about a Jewish observance called the Shemitah, very little. But in recent months, it's been coming to the forefront because even though it was written for the Jews and was a part of the Jewish covenant, and they are the ones who were commanded to observe it, There are still ramifications of it that still go on even in nations when it's not observed. The principles of it. Now, very few Jews still live by the Shemitah. The most orthodox conservative Jews live by it and practice it. But most do not. But it's been proven that the principles of the Shemitah, while they were for Jewish people, still operate in society today. And it can be seen in world events, in world events. And so uh, I just want us to, all I'm going to do is just introduce this briefly. I'm not going to preach on that because I want to preach on what the Bible says about the Christian and finances. But, Let's just look at it. In Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 4, it tells us about the Shemitah, the Shemitah. And, it, and it's very, very clear. It, it's, it's just like the Sabbath. And look what it says in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I will give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Now listen, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Now don't miss the second verse. Six years you shall sow your field, six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But the Sabbath year there will be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall reap, nor you shall not, what grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap. But gather the grapes of the untended vine, nor gather the grapes of your intended vine, for the year of rest is for the land. So the shemitah is this: six years Israel would plant, plow, reap. So just like they always did, but the seventh year, there would be no plowing, no planting, no reaping, no sowing. The land would lie at complete rest. You say, well, pastor, my, what did they do? I mean, they couldn't plant, couldn't sow, couldn't reap. What did they do that seventh year? Well, see, here is the purpose of the whole thing. Now, listen to me carefully. It's a spiritual principle that still applies to us today. During the Shemitah or the Sabbath rest, they were were recognizing the land, the earth belongs to God. The earth belongs to God. The second thing they were recognizing is that God is our source and that God is our supply. And we can trust God even though in the Sabbath, or the Shemitah year, we're not going to plant, nor reap, nor sow. And also it was to be a holy year, instead of which concentrating on the planting, reaping, and sowing, it was a year that they gave themselves to seeking God. And to seeking His face, and acknowledging Him as their source, And at the end of the year, they would see how God had supplied. And then the next year when they planted and had left the ground fallow, the harvest would be greater than it had ever been. Now, with the Shemitah was great blessing. When Israel obeyed God's word, God greatly blessed them without question. He blessed them in a great way. But Israel, like America, became idolatrous, wicked, sinful, and turned away from God. And it just went on and on. And even though God warned them through Jeremiah, they continued in their own ways. But there are a couple of other interesting things about the Shemitah. In Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 and 11, I want you to notice what it says about it. Exodus twenty-three, ten and 11, it says this. Six years shall you sow your land... Six years shall you sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Why? That the poor of the land may eat. So while they could not partake of what was left in the fields during the seventh year, the poor could, it says. The seventh year you shall not let, shall not, uh, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, but the poor of the people of your people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field may eat, in like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. So, while they couldn't eat of, of the, during the seventh year, of, of what was left in the fields, the poor could. But, there was something else <laughs> about it that was unreal. And this is where it really, we see its application today. That at the end of the seventh year, or the or the Shemitah, I want you to listen to what everybody did. This is found in uh, Deuteronomy 15, one and 2. I want you to listen to this. This happened every seven years. It says here, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. Hmm. At the end of the Shemitah, at the end of the seventh year, anybody that owed you money, you wrote it off. They didn't know you anymore. Anybody you owed money, they wrote it off. There was a clearing of all debt. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debt. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor nor of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. And that's the word smita. It means means remission. It means release. It sounds like this microphone's cracking or something. Is it making a noise? Maybe it's just this thing. But anyway, so isn't that amazing? Every, every seventh year you got a new start. Everything was balanced. All debts and credits were released. And so that was the, the key to the whole thing. Well, as long as as, uh, the Jews observed it, God blessed them, and he blessed them abundantly. But when they turned away from God and went into idolatry and became a wicked, idolatrous, sinful nation, through Jeremiah, God warned them. He warned them over and over again, not just about the Shemitah, the seventh year of rest, but about their wickedness, their ungodliness, their idleness, the way they, they they just, it's hard for us to believe that a nation that had been brought out God out of Egypt and been blessed abundantly would all of a sudden forget God and turn away from God. Well, what about America? A land that was founded by godly people on godly principles. ever thought we'd come to the place where we just say, well, we don't want God. We don't want him in public life. We don't want anything to do with him. That's exactly where Israel was. And Jeremiah said, all right, God's going to send judgment on you. And in 586 BC, the Babylonians came and destroyed the land of Israel. They wiped out, destroyed the temple, not stone, one stone left upon another. And God had warned them through Jeremiah, but they never heard him. And so they went into captivity for 70 years. Jeremiah said, you'll go into captivity seven years. You know why it was 70 years? It was 10 years for every Shemitah that they had failed to keep to the very day. Every 10 years for every Shemitah they had failed to keep. Now, so that kind of gives you an idea of what Shemitah is. But now here's the interesting thing. And by the way, this is well documented. I wouldn't dare say it if it wasn't documented. For the last 40 years, from 1973 up until the present... Every economic peak and collapse has been tied to the year of the Shemitah. In 1973, when there was an economic peak and then a great cash crash, it was in the year of Shemitah. And on we go five times in the last 40 years. Five times in the last 40 years, there's been economic peaks. And then economic collapse. And every one of those five occurred in the Shemitah year, the seventh year. It's like God said, because you have, you know, see, the Shemitah was supposed to be either blessing or cursing. You obey it, you're blessed. You disobey it, there's judgment. And it's almost like God said to America, which turned its back on God if you're not going to observe, follow me, then then, then it, the Shemitah princ- principle has operated and it is documented that the five economic peaks and crashes of the stock market are c- collapsed, not only in America, but in the world, have all been during the seventh year or the year of Shemitah. Documented. This book here absolutely goes back to the to the dates, the exact time and everything. Let, let's take, for example, 2008 when there was the great economic collapse, and the, you remember the housing market. All of a sudden, your house went—the value of it went down forty percent, and it just went. You know, it was one of the worst times of recession since the nineteen thirty. It was the year of the Shemitah, and it's like God said, "If if you won't honor me and follow my principles of finances, then I'll just show you." And instead of being blessed, sometimes God just lets judgment come. Well, here's the interesting thing. The end of the seventh year, Shemitah is September the 13th of this year. Now, the last five have been accompanied with great economic peaks and then collapses. And, of course, there are those who say, look, if it's happened five times consistently in the last 40 years in the Shemitah year, then September 13th, sometime after September 13th, in the next months to come, we're going to see the same thing that has happened. Now, do I know that? No. Am I saying it's going to happen? I can't tell you that. But I do say this. There is a pattern for the last 40 years that this occurs. And so, people are saying, you need to be prepared for it and to be ready. So, now, having said that, We don't live under the Shemitah. That's Jewish law. We don't live under that. But at the same time, if we obey God's word concerning finances, then God can bless us. But if we disobey God's word concerning finances, then God cannot and will not bless us. So I want us to think for a few moments this morning about what, what God has to say about the Christian uh, and finances, I want you to see. The first thing I want to do is expose two lies that are out there. They're right in the word of God. I want you to see these two lies. The first one is found in uh, Luke 12:15. You're very familiar with this story. All right, Luke 12:15. I'm talking about the Christian and the way we handle material things, the way we handle the money that God entrusts us with, the way we handle our finances. And Luke twelve, fifteen, uh well verse fourteen, uh well, I'm gonna go back to verse thirteen. It says uh, Then one from the crowd, Luke twelve thirteen, said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. It was all about money. Now you tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Hey, you know, nothing ever changes. I cannot tell you the hundreds of families that once somebody in the family dies, they fight over the will. Have you ever heard about that? They just pay tons of money for lawyers. They cheated on the will. I'm not getting what's mine. Settle my inheritance. I asked Jesus to do that. He said, I'm not, who who am I? I'm not going to do that. But then he made a profound truth. Listen to what he said. He said in verse 14, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. And here's the lie. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. Now the lie is this. If you just get the right things, If you just have the right things, and if you just have an abundance of things, material things, which come from money. He said, let me tell you something. If you just have the right things and the right finances, you are going to have a wonderful, happy, meaningful, fulfilled life. Let me tell you what that is. L-I-E. That's a lie. Oh, yeah. Do you know that material things can never satisfy the deepest need of your heart. Some of the richest people in the world are the most miserable people in the world. Have you noticed that? You know, you know somebody says, how, much, how many more dollars does a rich man need? One more. You see, we get the idea. And this is especially true. Now, this is not true in three-fourths of the world. Because you know what goes on in three-fourths of the world? Three-fourths of the world goes to bed hungry every night. Oh, yeah, and three-fourths of the world, their main project that day is to find enough water and food to keep them alive. Oh, oh Africa, Asia, all over, I'm telling you, famine, pestilence. Oh, I, I'm just telling you, the problem over there is not looking, trusting in material things to find meaning for life. They're just trying to get enough to eat to stay alive another day. But you see, in America, which is a rich nation, and by the way, If you live in a house with indoor plumbing and you drive a car and you have food to eat that you know you're in the top 10% of the world, you say, but I don't have a big house. You're still in the top 10% of the world. But I don't have a lot of money. You're still in the top 10% of the world. Did you know everybody who lives in America is rich? By the world's standards, you are rich. Rich. But I don't have to tell you that things do never satisfy the deepest need of a person's heart. Things never really make a person happy. You know, well, if we can just get, honey, if we can just get that new house, I'll be happy. And you get the new house and you fight in every other room. Come on, give me a break. If I can just get that new car, I am telling you, I'll be so happy until the first payment comes due and you are in trouble. Don't you for one moment think that your life can be made fulfilled and complete and total by the things you possess. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. It could not be any clearer. He said, beware of covetousness. But there's another lie. Now, that's a lie. But this one's going to shock you." The second lie that's told is this, is that money and material things are evil in themselves. That's a lie. That's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that money is evil in itself. The Bible does not say that material things are evil in them. It does not say that. In fact, let me show you a verse. Over in in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want you to look at verse, uh, we'll, we'll begin verse, with verse 10. In 1 Timothy 6, he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We'll go back to that in a little bit. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You brought nothing into this world, and it is certain you will carry nothing out. Having food and clothes, therewith be content. Then I want you to look at verse 10. It says here, the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, let me just say something. It didn't say money is the root of all evil. It didn't say that. It said the love of money is the root of all evil. You know what drives the pornography business? The wicked, ungodly? You know what drives the gambling interest? You know what drives most of the things in this world? It's all about money. It's all about money. You see, the love of money is the root of all evil. You just go look at the sins that grip America in its grips and how it holds us. And you look at it. Well, boy, you know, you go right back to it. And it's just all about the money. It's the love of it. So it's not money in itself. It's not evil. It is the love of money that is the root, listen at this, of all evil. You can trace back sin and wickedness and corruption in this nation. You can trace it back to one thing, the love of money. And that's why we have so much corruption, so much wickedness, so much ungodliness in this land. And so, you know, it's not, Money is not a sin in itself. It's the love of it. Things are not sin in itself. It's when, not that you have things, it's when things have you. All right, well, okay, you say, all right, Brother Fred. Okay. So how do we deal with finances? How do we deal with money? How do we deal with material things? How do we do that? Now, in the Shemitah, in the Shemitah, six years... Israel planted and reaped. But the seventh year, they did not do either one. And they had to say, the earth belongs to God. This year, we honor God. We glorify God. We praise God. We recognize him as our source. And we're going to just deny ourselves for the seventh year and trust God. And we're not going to be held captive by any material thing. Boy, as long as they did that, they were blessed by God. And, you know, we have to come to the place in our walk with God that our greatest... Well, let me, let me just give you the scripture for this, all right? And go back to Luke chapter 12. I want you to go to Luke 12. And where Jesus said, Beware of covetousness. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now then, let me show you what he did. He gave a parable. He gave a parable. Of a certain rich man. And let's show you how the wrong way to handle the blessings of God. It says here the ground of a rich man yielded plentifully. He was blessed, he had an abundant crop. You can put it in modern day success, uh, tech, uh, modern day life. Well, he had a job and he got a promotion. And man, his in- income increased a great deal. And man, he, he, he was blessed. And it says here, the ground of a rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? I have no room for my crops. I have got more crops than I have room for. Now, I don't think too many of you say, I've got more money, so what am I going to do with it? I don't know what to do with it. Well, you may have, but you need to find out what to do with it. But anyway... The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, What shall I do? I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I'm looking for God in this now. I'm just looking for God. in about God blessing him? He said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. Oh, I'll just keep on expanding." And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you. For many years, you are secure. You finally got enough in your 401K. You finally got enough money. You you have got it now. You've got it. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you for many years. Take ease. Take ease. Eat. Drink. Drink and be merry. Have you, he hadn't said anything about God. He hadn't said anything about the blessings came from God. He didn't say anything about his responsibility for what God had given him. God is not in the picture. This is the material man. This is modern America. This is the materialistic society. He says, And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, woo, fool. Well, wait a minute, Lord. He he, he was a hardworking farmer. He planted. He reaped. I mean, come on, Lord. I mean, he worked hard. And you're calling him a fool? He said, yeah. Let me tell you why. He said, Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Who's going to have all you've got when you die tonight? So so he says, and then goes on and says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself, and get this last part, and is not rich toward God. Can I tell you one thing? God doesn't need your money. He don't need your money. But you need to understand that God is the source of every material blessing you have. And that you need to be rich toward God and not just rich toward yourself. Jesus said, look, listen, you know, he said, I just, when I read this, I said, At no time did this man say, boy, God, you've blessed me. Listen, I've got more crops than I need to know. And, and God, I'm going to have to build bigger barns. But, Lord, I know it's from you. And I know you've given this for me to be a blessing to others. And, and, and Lord, I want to be a good steward of what you've given me. But he never meant, God wasn't in the picture. He wasn't meant, it was all, he, he, he laid up treasure for himself and was not rich toward God. How long has it been since you thank God for your job? How long has it been if you thank God for your paycheck? How long has it been you thank God for your nice house you live in and for the car you drive? How long has it been? It, do you realize? Or do you just take that for granted? Well, then just go over to India and Bangalore and just just go with me around to to, to Bangladesh and and just go around and see the rest of the world. Three fourths of them, and you say my Lord, I, I didn't know the rest of the world lived like this. But I'm a rich man. You say, my brother Fred, I live in a rented house and can barely pay the rent. You're rich. I, I don't have fine clothes. you got clothes, you're rich. I, I don't have a new bathroom. You've got a bathroom. Most of the world doesn't have one. But it's such a burden to pay, take a bath. Hey, most people don't ever get to take a bath unless in a river that's infected with disease. Do you do you see the and, and see the problem is this, y'all, we've got to understand. We may not know how rich we are in this country and how rich you are, but I am telling you, we need to understand that we are blessed by God and that we everything that we have comes from God, and everything that we have belongs to God, and that there should be thankfulness and gratitude. And we should be rich toward God. All right, here's the next thing. I've exposed two lies. That your life depends on how much you have. Your abundance of things. That's a lie. That money in itself is evil and material things are evil in themselves not. It's the love of money and the love of things. That, that's where your sin comes. And you never give God, acknowledge God that he's the source of it all. But here's the next thing, and this this is very important. Go back over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know what God says? And and this this, this is a powerful statement. And I wish I could tell you that I had always lived by this verse. But I haven't. And I've got scars to show it. Now look what it says. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He said, now, if you're godly, you underline that word, and you're content, you have made some great gain in your life. You know, um, I've always been fascinated with automobiles. You know, you say, is that a stronghold? I don't think it is. I just, I don't know. I just had problems with them. Well, I'll never forget I had a, a, this was way back when I was in college. I had an Oldsmobile. I was a 1959 or something, but it was a a nice car, and it was a six-cylinder, and it ran real good, and my wife and I would drive down to our little church we had on Sundays, and it was just a fine car. But I was driving down the road, and I saw sitting on the car lot a black, I mean, good-looking, 1955 Chevrolet. I said, I want that. Now, God didn't say go get it. But I just, I just rationalized and rationalized. And I remember when I bought it, my daddy said, why in the world did you do that? You had a good car. Well, you know, I, my daddy didn't know nothing. But anyway, <laughs> I should have been content. I'm telling you, I should have been content. I had a great car. But it didn't shine like that one. Well, I want you to know I bought it. It only had 30,000 miles on it, but guess what? That was when they turned the, thermo- the, not the thermometers, the speedometers back. Well, I was driving back from my church, and the whole motor blew slap up, and all gro- went everywhere, and it was, I mean, it was over. So I took it to the mechanic in my hometown. I don't forgot how I got it up there, Get somebody towed it. He said, well, you know, this car had 200,000 miles on it. It must have been a taxi. Well, God knew that. Why didn't I ask God about it? Oh, no, 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 no. I was not content. And I paid the price. Now, if I had been as godly and had prayed over it, God would say, don't do it. But you know, sometimes you don't feel good about it, but you just go ahead and do it. And you know what? It's always the wrong way. You see, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he goes on and tells us how we're supposed to deal with this. He said, let me tell you why. We brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we're not going to take anything out. Huh. Uh, You ever seen a a hearse behind, uh, a It behind a hearse? You say, Brother Fred, how much did he leave? All of it. It's like the man in Texas who died who just had struck oil and they decided they buried him. And he said he loved gold. And he told him, he said, when I die, I want to be buried in a gold Cadillac with a gold vault. And so they all gathered for the funeral. And they were letting him down, his dead body, in that gold Cadillac into that gold vault. And one guy punched the other and said, that's really living, isn't it? (laughs) Lord, have mercy. In America, it's whoever dies with the most toys wins. Godliness, I'm talking to Christians. Godliness. You love God. You love Jesus. You love the Word of God. You love the body of Christ. You have no other gods before Him. Godliness. That's it. In other words, you you, you choose not to let the world squeeze you into its mold. You don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You re, you, you let you allow God to conform you into the image of Jesus. And you refuse to let this world tell you how to dress and how to eat and what to, where to go and, 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 and what success. You do not judge success by this world. You do not. You've you got godliness with contentment is great gain. Because we brought nothing into this world and we're going to carry nothing out. And get this, and having food and clothes, be content. Anybody here who doesn't have clothes? I know you do. You got them on. Anybody here who has no money to eat? We have plenty of food. I want to see you after the service is over. Everybody in this room has food and clothing. He said, okay. What have you all been out of shape for? You just be content. God's blessed you. Most of the world, they don't have very many clothes. They sure don't have any food. And so we we see here that that we're to be godly and to be content. And it it is in godliness and contentment that peace, joy, and satisfaction come. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. He said, don't worry about, this is Jesus, don't worry saying, what am I going to eat what am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? He said, don't you worry about that. The birds, they have plenty to eat. And they, 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 don't, they don't have... You know I feed them. And the lilies of the field, look how beautiful they are. I dress them. He said, if I can feed the birds and dress the lilies, I think I can take care of you. Jesus said, so don't worry about that kind of stuff. But that's what the Gentiles seek after, the pagans. He said, let me tell you what you do. You seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness... And all these other things, everything God wants you to have will be added unto you. Be godly and content. Let me give you a warning. Look at verse 9. This warns you now when you're not content. This warns you. Please listen to it. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Whoo. Gosh. Gosh. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. All right, let me think about this. Now, here's a guy who's in business, and he's fixing to do a business deal. And he says, now, if I just do this under the table, I'll come out ahead, and I'll have more money in my pocket. So instead of doing what's honest, he does what's dishonest, deceives the person he's doing the deal with. And you know what? what? He, he, his desire is to be rich. And he's been caught into snare and temptation. And he has sinned against God. All for little more profit on a business deal. You can just think about how the desire to be rich causes people to fall into temptation and a snare And to many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Wow. He said, desire to be godly. Desire to be holy. Desire to be a good steward. Desire to be thankful. Desire to do what pleases God. Do that. And you'll be okay. But man, the day you say, whatever it takes, I'm going to get rich. He said, I'm going to tell you something. Let me use his words. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root, verse 10, of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. And have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Oh, he said, some have strayed from the faith. Pursuing the almighty dollar. And have been pierced through with many sorrows. I never will forget when I was first getting started in the ministry. Gray Allison, a godly man. And I was real young at that time. I think I was probably in my late 20s. He said, uh, and I had a small church I passed. He said, Pastor said, now, you be careful. You, You know what gets most preachers, don't you? I said, I don't know. And I'm just going to tell you what he said. He said, money, liquor, and women. You know what? I've just watched it over the years. Money. You know, it, this breaks my heart. I have a friend of mine. I preached in his church. And he had, he, he, he had a heart for God. And he preached, and God began to bless his church. Then he got on television, and then he started appealing for funds to come in from television. And, and money began to come in from all over where he was. And he said to my friend who went up to preach for him about two, three months ago, he said, you know, I, 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 we took, took in almost a million dollars through our television ministry. I said, okay. All right, now I want you to understand, this, this was a godly young man one time he said now we're going to dinner and the people that are going to dinner with us is one of my biggest supporters he said now I hope this won't offend you now listen to this this went from a guy that was as conservative and holy he said I hope you don't mind "We, we drink a little wine with our meal my friend said two bottles later he said a little wine and I said to my friend he don't know it but he's finished It ain't if he crashes and burns, it's when he crashes and burns because he'll be pierced through with many sorrows and destruction. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so we need to ask God to help us to be thankful for what we have and to be godly and content. All right, let me show. read this, and I'm going to close. I want you to look at chapter 6 of Timothy again in verse 17 through 19. Now, the Shemitah year starts on September. I think the day of E-U-L-U-L is uh, September 13th, and that's supposed to be the beginning, something like it. It may be two days off. But anyway, so that's coming. The, Shemitah, the Shemitah's coming, so... Uh, We don't know what's going to happen economically, but in the last 40 years, the last five crashes have come in the year of the Shemitah. Okay, so here's the verse that I want to leave with you, and and, and you'll do it, I know, And, and if you do, you'll be okay. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches. Would you underline that word? Uncertain. Don't be haughty so you've been blessed. You're doing real good. Financially, you're probably better than you've ever been. He said, but now listen, command those. Don't make a suggestion. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be proud and not to trust in uncertain riches. But listen at this. Trust in the living God. I'm reading the Bible. But trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God doesn't want you to go around with a frown on your face and sour push like you've been sucking lemons. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. We can enjoy life, we can enjoy the simple things of life. You don't have to have money to enjoy life. Some of the greatest things in the world is when you didn't have anything, but you had Jesus and He was meeting your needs. Come on, give me a break. He said, don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives you all things richly to enjoy. Look at verse 18. This is where you handle money and finances. Let them do good. Okay, so God's blessed you. Do good. Be rich in good works. Ready to give. Hey. Maybe God's giving you some extra money because there's somebody that needs some. I got a friend of mine that always carries a $100 bill in his billfold. Always. And every now and then God said he needs it. And he takes it out and said, God told me to give you this. He does it all the time. All the time. He says, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. And look here, you're going to be rich toward God. Look at verse 19 storing up for yourselves a good foundation for the time to come lay not jesus said lay not up treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal and it says here storing up for themselves A good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. It's not how much you have, it's what you do with what you have. It's not how much you keep, it's how much you give. You know, when you're free from money, the love of money, you're free. When you're free from the fact, if I can just get one more new thing, I'll be fine. When you're free from that, I'll tell you what. You know when you're free? When you're living a godly life and you're content. Then whatever God does for you, whatever way God blesses you, you can handle it. But if you're not godly and not content, you're going to fall into a snare and it's going to be one thing after another, one bad choice after another, and beware of covetousness. By the way, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not covet. Woo! I don't hear too much about that. Hey, by the way, some people say if you come to Jesus, you'll be rich, have a new Mercedes Benz, and you'll have a big, nice new home. I, I, I want to ask him to go preach that in Bangladesh where they don't have, they all bathe in the same stream where they use a restroom. I want to tell him to go to all the poor places in the world and say, man, you just come to Jesus and you'll never get sick and you'll have plenty of money and you'll always have a new car. I mean, you, you, you're not ever going that's a lie. That gospel won't preach anywhere, but no, that ain't gospel. That won't preach anywhere, but in America, it won't preach anywhere else because everybody's poor. What's going to happen on September the 13th and 15th? Is there going to be a crash? I don't know. It matters to me for, I don't want anybody to lose anything, but it doesn't matter to me. My life does not consist of the abundance of things I possess. Not at all. All I want is godliness, and all you want is godliness with contentment which is great gain.